and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. Today's show, we are going to be talking about Tonglen meditation and a way to transform pain into joy. I would like to introduce you to our guest today. Our guest is Lama Paulden Drolma, and she is the author of the book Love on Every Breath. She is also a licensed psychotherapist, spiritual teacher, and coach, and she has studied Buddhism in the Himalayas with some of the most prominent Tibetan masters of the 20th century. Following a traditional three-year retreat under his guidance, Kalu Rinpoche authorized her to become one of the first Western Lamas. She subsequently founded the Sukha City Foundation, which is a Tibetan Buddhist teaching center in Fairfax, California. Lama, welcome. Thank you. So you have to tell me, what does it mean to become one of the first Western Lamas? Let's start with that. <laughs> oh, goodness, yes. Yeah, well, a lama is the same as a priest or minister, a rabbi, um, you know, a roshi or a, sw- a swami, although it's not a celibate. Sometimes you could be a monastic, but not necessarily. So, yes, it's it's really being uh, transmitted and authorized to teach and, and uh, share uh, the lineages that I studied in with the Tibetans. Wonderful. And I know that um, with this book that you have out, Love on Every Breath, we are talking about Tonglen meditation. I'm not sure we have actually covered this topic before. So maybe it might be good to just brief our listeners a little bit about what this type of meditation is like. Okay, sounds good. So Tonglen is a meditation that... uh, opens our hearts, allows us to connect with our awakened heart, our true heart, and to really grow the muscles of our heart, so to speak, so that we're able to love ourselves and others more fully and unreservedly. And, you know, be skillful in that, of course, be skillful with ourselves and others, but have a much more open, loving heart. And Tonglen is a Tibetan word that means taking and sending. And so in uh, both in the course of our regular life, we, we take in suffering, we care about people, we care about the world, and we take in the suffering of what's going on. And so this Tonglen practice can help us transform and liberate that in our own hearts to turn it into love and joy. And to send that out to ourselves and others, but also um, also to uh, consciously work with transforming our, our own suffering and the suffering of the world. So it's taking in, and in this Tonglen, it's, it's what's called an extraordinary form of the Tonglen. So it's a creative meditation, and there's eight steps. And then through that, we start to anchor in a sense of awakened presence. And, you know, each of us has the Buddha nature or divine spark. We, we all at the core, um, 
you know, our awakened beings. And so the practice helps us get in touch with that. And then it's our awakened presence inseparable with all the Buddha's awakened presence that actually does the transformation of the suffering. Now, I remember um, reading in your book, you were talking about how sometimes people in the Western world, um, you know, that whole concept of taking other people's suffering and then right. like, putting out compassion that they say, I have enough suffering of my own, you know, I, I can't take on more. And that you were really looking to try to figure out this process that would be a little bit easier for people to move through and go through, but still have some of the same benefits. Yes, uh, I didn't figure it out. It's this it meditation is directly from a, a 11th century awakened woman that was a Buddhist teacher, um, originally from Kashmir. So, but I, I languaged it from the Tibetan, you know, in a way. Hopefully, that people can really understand it. And this version from this of Tonglen from this awakened woman, I think, really helps alleviate that problem because. First of all, number one, like I said, we're, we've already taken in a lot of suffering and it sits inside of ourselves. So a process to liberate and transform that. But also in this particular Tonglen, the love on every breath, as I said, it's not our ego, our human self that's already feeling weighted down oftentimes that does the transformation. But we have help. Uh, from the Buddhas, from the inseparability of our own true nature with the Buddha's awakened love and uh, the power of that so that we don't need to feel we're just, you know, doing all this by ourselves. Yeah, in my meditation this morning, I took one of the visualizations um, from the book that you shared and kind of, you know, played around with it a little bit. And it was pretty emotional. Um, you know, I, I imagined myself, uh, you know, imagining that other part of myself kind of sitting in front of me. And I took a few moments to just look inside of myself to see how much suffering I was holding. Mm -hmm. And then I was, you know, able to breathe that in, like you talk about, maybe you can go into a little more detail of what I'm describing, but I was uh, breathing that in and then, uh, you know, washing it away, exhaling out and blowing this like white light and this compassion back towards myself. And it was pretty in, an interesting process. One, uh, to feel and sense how much our bodies do hold of that suffering. And then the relief, feeling that compassion coming back towards me and almost as if a part of myself was giving myself permission to just let it go. It was pretty, ah, it was powerful. That's wonderful. Yes. And this is why in the tradition, and then I also encourage this, that we do this meditation for ourselves first. And traditionally, you really do it for some time for yourself, because that's another piece of feeling, you know, like we're already holding a lot or <clears throat> that everything's too much or overwhelming or, you know, we can't fully um, help change the world or whatever. And so really working with ourself and developing that self-love and compassion. And it, it, it sounds like, um, you know, really good. You were able to actually feel the transformation of that energy. And, you know, it sounds sometimes like to people who haven't done visualization um, in meditation and this kind of creative, creative meditation, as it's called in Tibetan, uh, which is highly transformative, it sounds like 
how could that work? But if we just enter into it like you did wholeheartedly and just do it, it actually does work and becomes easier and easier, you know, over time. And one of the things that comes up for people doing it for themselves is, oh, I'm not worthy or, you know, there's a lot of times it's hard to be willing to really give ourselves love and to, to um, you know, feel that towards ourselves. So that's a very important thing because that helps heal us so that our love is more freed up for whatever we want to do in the world and for, you know, being present with others. Right. And you also talk a lot about the importance of, um, you know, breathing and coming at this from the heart center. Why is it so important that we drop into our hearts and kind of focus in the heart area? Yeah, that's interesting. You said drop. Yeah, because in the West, we usually our consciousness, we think, is in our head in the East because they've had, you know, obviously a different culture. They experience their heart. I mean, their mind in their heart area, in their heart chakra. And they, um, you know, just now research is starting to show there are a lot of cells that are like brain cells that do all kinds of things, you know, for us that are way more advanced than we realized. And so on an esoteric level, on a yogic level, not only in Buddhism, but in many church spiritual traditions, the heart center is really the place where um, love comes from on a subtle level, in an energetic level. And it's sort of the home, so to speak, of where love and compassion and our connection reside within our subtle bodies. And and the breath is amazingly powerful when coupled with awareness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just in a simple way, re, you know, listeners might have had the experience where you go to a masseuse and there's a knot in your neck and they say, breathe into the knot, you know. And when you bring breath consciously to something, it it touches it in a way that helps it transform. And so this um, meditation we do on the breath and, you know, you don't have to start there, but that's how um, the practice evolves. And you can certainly start there. It's, it's the heart of the meditation. And then, you know, say, for example, you visualize your human self in front of you, like you were saying, and then from this perspective of our awareness, our awakened self, breathe in the suffering from our human self to our heart chakra, which we've already imagined there is a light or a vajra of light that is the essence of awakened mind, or we could say divine presence. And that is then, that suffering comes in, is instantly transformed through the powerful love and becomes um, white light, becomes awakened healing, awakened love and compassion energy that on the out breath is sent out uh, back into your human self. Or if you're um, working with another person, a loved one or a group of people that are suffering or something, then it goes back to them. But it's really this powerful uh Um, symbol of our awakened nature, the light in our heart that does the transformation, not the ego self. 
it's the much bigger part of ourself that is completely, you know, connected to all divine presence, all awakened mind. And um, I am scrolling through some of my notes and I can't find where I marked it, but that divine presence that you're talking about, um, it's it's the word that I would probably mess up trying to pronounce that starts with the letter C. <laughs> oh, not the bodhicitta? Um, Maybe the yeah. bodhicitta, the awakened mind you're thinking of? I think so. It might be um, the awakened, yes. Because there was um, a part in one of the meditations that I was kind of just skipping around looking to, and it said, if you have a hard time doing that, focus on this. And I was like, oh, okay, I got to go. I got to well, see what that Well, I'm not sure, <laughs> but basically... Um, this might be what you're talking about, and then it might more come back to you, too. The bodhicitta, which I talk about, is, is um, step three in the meditation, is done in all Tibetan meditations. And that is, it's called engendering awakened mind. Bodhicitta is a Sanskrit word, but engendering awakened mind. And it's interesting what this means. It's, it's not necessarily what we would think right off the bat, but it means to enter into our meditation, any spiritual practice, you know, a yoga or any kind of spiritual practice, enter into it with the idea that I want to bring myself and all beings out of suffering into full and complete liberation and um, into their own awakening, into, you know, complete peace a love, joy, wisdom, etc. So it's this wanting the best for ourselves and each and every being, you know, animals included, all over as far as you know um, we know, and and really wanting each and every being to be free of the suffering and to come into knowing who we truly are. So that's um, engendering that and really you know, wanting to bring ourselves out of suffering and all others. So does that strike? Yes, <laughs> it does. But I also found, I found it. Um, it's when you're talking about stabilizing the sense of yourself as Chen. Oh, crazy. Yes, <laughs> yes. Chen crazy. yes. So now first to say briefly that to let people know this, of course, is Tibetan. So it's a Buddhist meditation. And, but, but at, in the book, I also, uh, there's a whole chapter, how to adapt it if you're Christian or another religion, or if you're non-religious. So, um, it's very highly adaptable for anybody's, uh, spiritual sensibilities, but in the traditional form, Chenrezig is the name in Tibetan of the Bodhisattva of compassion, who's famous throughout all of Buddhism, who, uh, spoke spontaneously the Heart Sutra and, so this being is a great Buddha that is the embodiment of all awakened love and compassion. And so we call upon him in the fourth step. We call upon him. And this being is actually the same as Kuan Yin in China mm-hmm. and Canon in Japan. So in Kuan Yin is very, very well known, you know, in the Asian world. But it's the same Bodhisattva, just the form is slightly different. And we call upon um, this being and pray that our innate wisdom, love, and compassion can be completely open, that it will completely blossom. And then at this point in the meditation, 
Chen Raisi, this Buddha um, who's appearing in light above our head, he dissolves into us and we feel like we become inseparable with all awakened love and compassion. And in theistic terms, you know, we could call this divine presence, divine love and or sacred presence or awake presence. And so we have a sense of we could if we said in Christian terms, we could have we could say have a sense that Jesus gives us blessing and that Jesus is in our heart and that he's actually doing the transformation. So that's where we get this help that it's not just our little human self. And so we anchor that sense of awakened presence in our heart chakra. And then that's what uh, does the transforming. And then, like you said, if we get overwhelmed or it seems difficult, we just focus on ourselves as Chen Raisi, as this awakened being of light with this very powerful light in the form of a Vajra or a drop of light in our heart chakra. And we can also at that time do the mantra, Omani Padmi Hum, which is the mantra of compassion and loving kindness in um, Sanskrit. And so we can do that mantra. We can just feel that light, the pure presence. We can meditate and stabilize a sense of ourself like this. And this actually also really helps us connect to our own basic goodness, our own Buddha nature, and our own awakened nature, which is you know, really what we're trying to unlock, uncover, and fully connect with and actualize on our spiritual path. Great. I'm so glad we got into that. I wanted to ask about that. And that mantra that you were talking about, the Om Mani Padme Hum. Yes. Um, and you see this mantra, you know, carved on stones all over Tibet at the top of high passes, all over the Himalayas. And Om Anipadmi Hum, and it means Om, or Oh, the jewel in the lotus. And it refers to our true being, our true nature, the, the awakened wisdom and compassion that's at the heart of who we are. And, and the jewel in the lotus also refers, in a sense, to the heart chakra and how there's this jewel of love, this jewel of awakened presence, uh, ever present, always within us, whether we, you know, usually we're completely oblivious or ignorant of that. In fact, there's a Buddhist saying that, that each of us is, is, um, you know, this precious true nature, uh, our precious awakened nature. It's like a jewel that we don't know we have, and it's just lying in the dust on the floor, and we have to pick it up and wash it off and, and realize, wow, you know, this is my jewel. Yeah, and that is a powerful mantra. Um, how I stumbled upon it was I was preparing for a session with a client who wanted to do kind of some deeper energy work, and she was feeling very stuck in the heart chakra. You know, she's aware of that, and she says, April, I just want to cry. My whole body feels like it just wants to cry, but I can't. I can't connect with my heart. So on a whim, I was just doing some research and searching for heart-opening mantras and music, and I found that. 
and I played it and I found a beautiful track on Spotify. Um, I'll have Mm. to look it up and maybe put it in the show notes, but there was like this beautiful beat that was put to it and it was just sung in like these very angelic voices. And I put it on repeat and for about 40 minutes, I just kind of held her heart center as, you know, this music was playing in the background and she had one of the biggest releases and cries, um, that she needed. And I had no idea if it was going to work. I just said, Hey, you want to try this? (laughs) And I was so, (laughs) yeah, I was so naive. I had no idea the power of it. I was just like, Oh, here, you know, I found this. I think it's beautiful, but (laughs) wow. So that's so wonderful, April. And, you know, mantras. So, uh, within, uh, all of, Tibet, you know, the teachings originally came from Sanskrit and India, and the mantras um, are in Sanskrit. And this has to do with our subtle energetic body. The sounds of the mantras themselves affect our subtle body. And they're powerful sacred symbols that are not only symbols, you know, sound symbols, but they actually embody that essence. So, it's a symbol, but it's more than a symbol. It's a full embodiment of this essence. And the sounds actually do change in our subtle energy body and help what needs to release, release, unwind, you know, what needs to unwind, unwind. And for us, again, to be able to start touching into the magnificence of who we truly are and the, the pure qualities and delight and um you know, nectar of who we truly are. And, you know, I think, you know, like when you describe your client having this huge cry and release, you know, to have a good cry like that, to really release, we we need to really be in touch with ourselves. And I think somehow the mantra, you know, helped her subtle body release and helped her really get in touch with herself in a deeply um, heartfelt way that allowed that process of transformation to occur. And it's also said that all all mantras are inherent in this one mantra, that this includes everything. And, in, you know, it's, it is very powerful. So that is a really, um, it's a part of this practice that you can take and just do any time. And that's actually another point about this whole step-by-step meditation. You can do the whole thing, or you can just take one step and do it on the cushion, or one step and do it, you know, in a brief instant or a few minutes in daily life, you know, whenever, um, you know, you feel like it. You know, for example, like, you know, say you're feeling like um, somebody, you're seeing somebody that really needs some love and you're just passing them on the street noticing that or something and you can just say the mantra, you know, quietly to yourself but sending that blessing to the other person. Yeah, and maybe we can go through um, just briefly what um, each of the eight steps is, because I know we kind of talked about the third, the fourth, we've yes. skipped around just to give uh, people an idea of what the the whole step process is, if they were to go through it. But like you said, you can also um, do certain ones at different times. Yeah. So the first step is resting in open awareness when we really just let go of thinking about the past, the future, let go of critiquing and evaluating the present. And instead of thinking, we really connect with our felt experience, with our breath, 
and just let everything settle out and let our mind be in openness and alert clarity and just allow the body to relax at the same time while our mind stays alert and clear and just rest the mind like that. And this is a huge reset button for us to just let everything go and rest in this uh, clarity openness. And so that's step one. And then the next step is um, awakened sanctuary, seeking refuge in awakened sanctuary. So calling upon, if we're Buddhists, the Buddhas, the Bodhisattvas, our own teachers, etc. Or again, another example, if if we're Hindu, we could call upon, you know, Vishnu or Lakshmi, Shiva, whoever, or the whole, we could call upon the presence of God or the great spirit, Jesus, you know, in whatever form or formless way is right for us. We call upon this sacred presence and ask them to be with us, to infuse our meditation with uh, truth, with divine awakened presence. And to what they do or what this presence does when we call upon in this way is they mirror back to us our own true nature. And that is very powerful for us. It's like sitting in front of somebody who really believes in you and um, they're reflecting back to you. You can do this. It may look hard, but you can do this. And that's really about attaining awakening. And so they're mirroring our awakened self to us or our divine self in more Christian um, theistic terms. And so that's the second step. And we um, then feel that we're in this sanctuary of awakened presence. And then the third step we talked about, which is engendering the awakened mind or altruistic mind, the bodhicitta. And then the fourth step we talked about uh, calling on the bodhisattva of compassion, Chen Rezi, to uh, infuse us, to help us open to our innate love and compassion and, and then in whatever form it works for us. And then then the next step is to actually start the tonglen, the taking and sending with ourself, and to do that process as we talked about. And then the next step is we extend it to others, and we start with someone that we love, and we consider, you know, the sufferings they may be going through or have gone through. We consider any traumas they've had or real challenges. And we generate compassion and loving kindness for them and do the same process. Um, stabilized in this, with this awakened light in our heart, we breathe in, transform the suffering. Actually, when the suffering comes in, instantly a lightning bolt emits it from the light and transforms the suffering into awakened love and healing energy. And white light and then on the outbreath that's sent out and gradually over time or as we feel like it we can extend that to other people eventually until we extend it to all beings everywhere and then at the end of that we see everyone we imagine whoever we've been working with ourselves and any others as fully awakened you know already healed illuminated awakened 
And then the next step is everything dissolves into light, into space, and we let go of all form and just rest in formlessness and open awareness like we did in step one. And we just let the mind rest there. And uh, it's very interesting. Uh, We usually see a complete change of consciousness from when we first started the meditation. And so we just rest there again in open awareness. And then the last step is dedicating any and all benefit from our meditation to all sentient beings, that we all may come into awakening, that we all may come to live in peace and harmony and joy, that all of our innate wisdom and love is completely unlocked and that we can flower and blossom to our absolute um, you know, infinite limit. So then that's the last step and and really sharing the benefit with all beings. Great. Thank you for taking us through each step. I thought that was important to cover. Um, And then I want to talk about your on-the-spot variations, because I would say that that was something that really began to change my meditation practice. You know, one of my teachers had said, once you get comfortable laying down and meditating, then you should try sitting up and meditating. And once you have that down, then you should try walking and meditating. And I think when I first started as a beginner in meditation, my meditation was very much locked into uh, this whole ceremony that I would set up for myself, get myself comfortable, play some music, you know, the temperature would just be right, I would be laying down. Um, but that's not very useful in times where you might just need to take that breath or to become centered. So it was helpful when one of my teachers had said, you know, you can meditate anytime, anywhere, and you should uh, break out of some of those habits of your meditation that you have so that you can access that stillness, um, you know, coming, coming just into your being anytime you need it at any time. And when I was reading about your on the spot, um, variations of different types of meditations that you can do, it reminded me of that as well. And also of, um, one that was very helpful for me was Pema Chodron's pause technique, where mm. she said, and it's a little bit similar to what you had wrote too, where she said, you know, anchor the word pause to remind yourself to take a breath in and a breath out. And you might anchor that if you drive a lot, say to the opening of your car door, every time you open your car door, pause, take that breath in, that breath out, shut the door. When you get out, pause again. But to find that anchor of something that you do a few times a day. And, you know, it really adds up. And I found that to be helpful. So maybe. Yeah. Talk yeah, about that's so own. wonderful. Yeah, it really does add up. And, and uh, that's, I used to do a practice where I, when I get in the car and start driving, I would do mantras. So for example, people could just do the Omani Padme Hum mantra and just meditate on love and compassion, you know, while driving. And so yes, any of these steps can be done like that. And, you know, the purpose of meditation is to wake up, it's, it's to actually fully inhabit our awareness. Awareness. And so as we integrate these meditations, even for 10 seconds, you know, or, or, or at any length, for any length of time into our daily life, it begins to like, kind of like let those boundaries between meditation and non-meditation dissolve, because we're actually just wanting to become more and more awake and aware in every moment of what we're doing, of what's going on, of other people, you know, so that we can meet what is with uh, the best we have, you know, with 
with love, with enthusiasm, with skillfulness, with wisdom. Great. Thank you. And I also feel that stories really heal. So I thought maybe a nice way to uh, end our conversation today is if you would like to tell us the story uh, from the book about Linda. Oh, yes. So this was a woman I worked with some years ago, and she got in touch with me and asked me to have a few sessions with her. And she was a therapist, but was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, and was in the latter stages of that. So she was confined to her bed. And so I went to see her and she really had, she was okay with dying. I mean, she wasn't that old, but she wasn't that young either. She was, I think, in her late fifties at the time early 60s, but, you know, which is short, but she was prepared for death, but she really was concerned about her granddaughter. And this was her son's daughter and her son had drug problems. The the mother had drug problems. And so the girl, the granddaughter had been in foster care and different things. And there was going to be a big court hearing to determine what placement was going to be permanent for this child. And so she was really concerned and wanted to do whatever she could on an inner level to help this process. So I immediately thought of this love on every breath, this extraordinary Tonglin practice, and talked to her about it, and she agreed. And so we began to do it together. I taught it to her and led her through it. And uh, we would do the practice together, and we, for her granddaughter, and then we expanded it out to, you know, the other people involved, the parents, the other caretakers, the judge, the attorneys, everybody involved until we were, you know, after we did this for once a week for some weeks, and then she would do it in between. And even like she couldn't go to the court. She couldn't do anything in the world. She was paralyzed except for speaking and moving her head and a little bit, you know. And this really gave her a way inside of herself to feel like she could make a difference. And sometimes um, actually things change in the outer world when we do internal work or when we send, you know, do prayers and blessings for people. And so, you know, we weren't, um, really concerned, like in terms of, can we affect the outcome? We're just doing, engaging in this practice to bring about, to help bring about the best outcome possible and to have this granddaughter held in love. So then lo and behold, the court hearing came and I, I went to see her after that it happened and to get the news. And in there had been an extraordinary thing happen where out of the blue, a previous foster parent had um, come to court and was in a very different situation, she and her husband. And the girl had been very happy with them, and they offered to become her um, permanent placement and adopt her. And it was a very unexpected outcome and a much better outcome than all the other alternatives. So Linda was so joyful and peaceful and felt like she could really die at peace knowing her granddaughter was going to be in a really good situation. And 
you know, we don't know if our inner work will affect the outer world in that in a strong way. We don't know if the, if our meditation had anything to do with that outcome. But uh, it's sort of like Jack Cornfield said: when you're meditating, you're in awakening is an accident ready to happen. But by meditating, you you make the conditions for having an accident more likely. Sorry. So you know, it's like. It's also in a simple way, if we're in an argument with some, or, you know, or a difficulty with somebody that we know in our life, if we do the Tonglen for them, this process and for ourselves first and then for them, it often just opens up the whole space and creates a more neutral open field where we can both show up in the space in a new way without the old patterns. And I've seen a lot of changes happen in relationships through that. But sometimes, you know, who knows, uh, amazing things happen. But either way, it transforms and liberates our hearts so that we can really fully um, radiate our love and joy out into the world and, you know, to ourselves and others. Yeah, that's such a great story. <laughs> so cool. Like you said, you don't know. You don't know if that affected it, but I'm sure there's some correlation there of the two working together for that. that grand yeah, and when you do these things over time, the evidence sort of builds up. Right. Sense, you know, because <laughs> yep. things happen. And of course, it's all antidotal. But, you know, they have found in some of these research studies in the, um, you know, last. 30 years that prayer and can really make a difference in people's illness and stuff. Right. Now, if people would like to do spiritual coaching with you, why don't you direct them to your website? Okay. So my website is, um, llama paulden.org L A M A P A L D E N.org. And there's information about the book and my spiritual coaching and other teachings and events I'm doing and about my the Buddhist Center, Sukha City, I founded in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, a little over 20 years ago. And um, then I'm on Facebook, too, Lama Paulden, Droma. And so I welcome um, people to connect and it's it's been wonderful speaking with you, April. Yeah, same here. And I would encourage everyone too to also sign up for her newsletter because you get a free introductory meditation from Love on Every Breath, what we were talking about today. So who doesn't love a free meditation, right? <laughs> yes, and you can stay up abreast of events and, and retreats or teachings that I'll be doing. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you so much for this lovely conversation, and I wish you a lot of luck on uh, spreading all of this information out throughout the world, and I hope that the Path Love and Podcast helps you with that as well. And listeners, again, uh, the book is called Love on Every Breath, Tonglen Meditation for Transforming Pain into Joy. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you, April. A delight to share with you. 
Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four-day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today.